Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 255. Uh, I've got a big show for us today. I'm so excited to dive in. We're going to talk about Cam Newton. We're going to talk about the Patriots. I think they're they're cheating, kind of scandal what happened. We'll break it down. We'll talk about Major League Baseball. I'm so excited. Baseball's coming back. I never thought I would say that. I've got a, a specific reason why I'm so excited to watch baseball again. And I Major League Baseball and I have been kind of at arm's length, really struggling. We're going to talk about, talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about Dak Prescott. I've got a list of... I'm going to rank every single NFL quarterback, which I never thought I would do. I found a way to do it that works for me. It really all started because we're going to talk first about Dak Prescott and his long, his, uh, his, his contract making $30 million a year. We'll talk about two underrated quarterbacks. Um, I'm going to share which quarterbacks I would give $30 million to. And we'll end with some Ask Zach questions. I even have a question about The Last of Us 2. Of course, I'm not going to spoil The Last of Us 2, but if you're a person out there who knows what I'm talking about, we will briefly mention it at the end. I'll share my thoughts about The Last of Us 2. If you want to hear about that, you can. Again, spoiler-free. I'm not going to ruin the game for anybody. I was glad I avoided spoilers. I don't want to spoil it for anybody else as well. I want to jump in today. Uh, the Patriots signed. The Patriots signed quarterback Cam Newton. And I got to say, not only did I not see this coming, but I now have this feeling I've never been more excited to watch Cam Newton play than I feel today. I mean, I can't wait to see the guy in a Patriots uniform, and I don't mean the there's Photoshop pictures out there of Cam in the uniform. It's fine, but nothing beats the real video of him on the sideline or in-game wearing that Patriots uniform. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be really cool, and I think he's going to look really dang good wearing number one for the Patriots. Um, You know, people keep saying, I keep hearing this thing, people say Cam doesn't fit the Patriots System And I don't understand that. It's really annoying to me because I think people are confusing two separate things. You have the Patriot way and then you have the Patriots offense. And, and first, before we do into anything, I want to uh, before we jump in, I want to say that the Patriots offensive coordinator is a guy named Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels used to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and he was the coach who drafted Tim Tebow and found a way not only to make Tim Tebow work, he won a playoff game with Tim Tebow as his quarterback. I, I don't know. I, if he can build an offense around Tim Tebow, you think he can't build an offense around Cam Newton? A much more gifted athlete, a gifted, more gifted thrower. I, I just don't understand how you can possibly think that Cam Newton's not going to somehow fit into the Patriots' cool system. It's just silly. Yeah, the offense is going to change. The Patriots' offense is not going to be the same way it was. But it was going to change anyway. Even if... The Patriots had had Jarrett Stidham as their quarterback, which we don't know that he might not be their quarterback next year. But if, if whether it's Jarrett Stidham or Cam Newton, it's going to be in a different offensive system. So I don't know why people are saying, you know, Cam doesn't fit this system. Yeah, Cam Newton is not Tom Brady. You're not going to try to put a, a square peg into a round hole that doesn't make any sense. You're not going to run Cam Newton, the same offense with Cam Newton as you did with Tom Brady. It, it just doesn't, it's weird to me. And then I get messages from people saying, does Cam Newton fit the Patriot way? And I just, I, I think people are, are mixed up. Again, the Patriot way is the culture in New England. It's the way things are operated there. It's their work ethic. It's their, 
attention to detail. That's the quote Patriot way. The Patriot way is not their offensive system. You can change the offensive system, make the offensive system a different offense with different play calls and different scheme. You can have a different scheme and still have the same culture in New England. That's what's going to happen with the Patriots moving forward. You know, I have never been in the military. I have friends who are. I'm grateful for their service. But I know that if I ever joined the military, boot camp would be really hard because that's what happens when you join the military. Boot camp is tough. For Cam Newton, the Patriots are boot camp. There's a very clear expectation going in. Hey, you're not going to be able to be quite exactly the same way as you were before because the Patriots have a different way of doing things. But Cam Newton knows what team he's joining. Cam Newton's joining the Patriots. You think when he signed the contract, he wasn't aware? Oh, yeah, I'm going to play for Bill Belichick. And yeah, everyone says the Patriots are not the fun team in the NFL. He's, he knows what he's getting into. And the Patriots know what they're getting into. They've made expectations clear. I just don't understand. People keep saying, you know, Cam is not going to fit the culture in New England. Why not? I mean, you think he's not going to listen to Bill Belichick? I just don't get it. You know, by the way, one thing that Cam Newton and Jarrett Stidham both have in common is that they can both run the football fairly well. And I have always expected that the Patriots offense was going to shift to take advantage of having a running quarterback this year, whether it was Jarrett Stidham, now maybe Cam Newton. But Tom Brady's gone. Tom Brady is not the quarterback any longer in New England. And I just don't understand why people are saying, you know, Cam Newton can't run the same offense as Tom Brady. Why would you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to have Tom Brady run the ball up the middle uh, between the tackles. That doesn't make any sense. But Cam Newton, he's like, what, 6'5", 6'6", got a big body, can run people over? Yeah, I'm running a quarterback draw with Cam Newton. I just don't get it. You know, they're going to shift their scheme to adjust to the players they have. That's what good coaches do. That's what the Patriots do better than ever. But, hey, the one player they've never had to do that with is quarterback because they've never had to change quarterbacks before. Why can't they do it with every other position? They can't do it with Tom Brady. I just don't get it. Now, here's the the narrative I've heard all offseason about the Patriots. People keep saying, who is going to win the breakup? Tom Brady? Or Bill Belichick? Who's going to do better? And, and people need to stop being so closed-minded. I don't understand. I believe it's likely that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are both going to make it and both going to succeed. I don't get why that can't happen. Why can't both be true? And it's weird and honestly kind of disrespectful the way people have talked about the Patriots this offseason. you got to realize the Patriots have the best head coach in NFL History. I'm not mincing words. I didn't stutter. Yeah, Bill Belichick, the best head coach in NFL history. He's won six Super Bowls. It, it speaks for themselves. Why do people keep saying, I think the Patriots are tanking, or, you know, I, I think the Patriots are going to suck? Again, he's won six Super Bowls in New England. That deserves the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion. No matter what quarterback plays for the Patriots this fall, whether it's Jarrett Stidham, Cam Newton, maybe they both get hurt, maybe they put up, maybe they, they do something crazy we've never thought of before. My point is that if Bill Belichick thinks he can win with that guy, that's enough for me. 
Maybe that guy's Cam Newton. Maybe that guy's Jared Stidham. But I don't understand why people aren't giving Bill Belichick the benefit of the doubt. Bill Belichick is not going to wave the white flag, give up and tank for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. That's not what Bill Belichick is going to do. This is a dude who wants to win. Bill Belichick is the same coach who won a fifth Super Bowl and said, it got up the next day and said, I'm going to try to win a sixth Super Bowl. And he did. A guy with that kind of drive and that kind of motivation doesn't just stop. people like Jeff Bezos is kind of crazy to me. I think about Jeff Bezos a lot where I go, why does this guy keep buying stuff? Why does he keep trying to build even more wealth? I don't get it. Because at some point you're like, you're the richest dude in the world. What what motivates Jeff Bezos to get out of bed every single day? I I, kind of, every once in a while I think about that, I go, he's still working for more. It's kind of weird to me. And when you're Bill Belichick or Tom Brady and you've won six Super Bowls. You're not going to stop. You're just, you just keep going because you love what you do. You love the pursuit of winning. Bill Belichick, is, it, Bill Belichick the, the winning the Super Bowl part is probably not the part that he enjoys the most. The part of the pursuit of greatness is what Bill Belichick enjoys. Every day is a challenge. How can I make, you know, we lost a linebacker. Well, we got to find a way to make the next linebacker work. We got to adjust our scheme to make it work. Or, hey, we're playing against the Browns this week. Odell Beckham Jr. is a terror. How are you going to shut down Odell Beckham Jr.? Bill Belichick loves the pursuit of greatness. I, it's just, it's offensive, actually, that people think that Bill Belichick is going to tank or that he ever might have been considering tanking. Here's the final thing I have to say. Is Cam Newton healthy? That's the only question that matters to me right now. Is Cam Newton healthy? It's a million-dollar question because Cam Newton has built his game around his ability to run, for better or worse. I think sometimes for worse, he's gotten pretty banged up in his career. He's never been a guy. I, I don't. This is not a slight against Cam Newton. But if Cam Newton couldn't run, he wouldn't have won the NFL MVP. His game is built around his ability to use his legs. That's okay. That's a style he has. But if he's healthy... You, you better look out. But there's only two ways that Cam Newton is going to succeed next year. Either his game is different. Either his game is totally changed and he doesn't run. He's going to do be very precise and very accurate. And I don't think that's what's going to happen with Cam Newton, but maybe that's what happens with Cam Newton next year. The other option is Cam Newton's healthy and he can run around. It's very possible he's healthy. When's the last time Cam Newton took a snap in the NFL? He spent most of last year getting back to 100%. He didn't play. He hasn't got hit in a long time. When's the last time Cam Newton got hit? It's very possible he's fully healthy. And again, if, if Cam Newton's healthy, uh, that's, a, that's a guy who won the NFL MVP again years ago. But he, he's scary good. And I, I have no idea. I'll be very honest. I, I don't know what to expect from Cam Newton. At some point, I'll, I'll watch film. Probably in the next couple of weeks, I'll watch film. And I'll say, here's what Cam Newton was the last time we saw him play. I'll do some games from last year. I'll do some games from two years ago. I'll look at the film from 2015. I'll make a whole video, probably like 15 minutes, about what, it, what, I, what I think I can expect from Cam Newton based on the past. I'll really dive into the film. That's not what this video is. But I see so many people, and I'm, I'm sure people are posturing 
and picking sides and making predictions. Here's what I believe Cam Newton's going to do based on blah. And I don't know how you can do that. I haven't seen Cam Newton play at a high level in a long time. And I'm not sure what we can expect from him. I don't know. And, and you don't know, and I don't know, and I don't think anybody can really know. I'll, I'll do the best I can with film. I'll dive into film and say, based on what I've seen recently, here's what I think he could do. Now, he did sign a pretty meager contract. He signed a contract worth uh, just over a million dollars, which is a lot for you and me. But for an NFL franchise quarterback, that's nothing. It's pennies. And then if he hits all of his incentives, he can make up to $7.5 million dollars. And if Cam Newton plays well at a high level, the Patriots got the deal of the year. They got the cheapest starting quarterback that plays well in the NFL. It's like crazy. It's like, what? Okay. But the question goes back to this. I mean, Cam Newton won an MVP in 2015. He won the 2015 NFL MVP. It's 2020. Is Cam Newton healthy? Can he run? Or maybe his game has evolved. I don't know. I have no idea what to expect from Cam Newton. I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to make crazy predictions to things I don't have answers to. I'm not that guy. But I will say I can't wait to watch. And I believe in Bill Belichick. And if Bill Belichick thinks Cam Newton can work, I don't know why you would doubt him. I don't understand. Doesn't Bill Belichick deserve, at this point, the benefit of the doubt? Also, I got to say, you know, I'm not sure that the story is entirely over for Jarrett Stidham in New England, whether Cam Newton's bringing, being brought into, I mean, Sam, Cam Newton signed a one-year contract. It's not like Bill Belichick said, here's $30 million and a five-year deal. We really believe in you. This is a tryout for Cam Newton. Maybe Jared Stidham is still the guy. Or maybe he sits for a year behind Cam Newton and develops and gets better. But I would not immediately write off Jared Stidham. Don't forget he exists. He can move around pretty well. And you think about who is more Jarrett Stidham more like? If you for from an offensive schematic standpoint, if you're going to build an offense around a quarterback, if you're building an offense around Jarrett Stidham, it's going to be a lot more similar to the same offense you would build around Cam Newton than you would around Tom Brady because they both have a really interesting ability to run the ball. Now Cam Newton runs better. I think Jarrett Stidham might throw the ball a little bit better, but we'll find out. I just I just want to caution people. Don't forget about Jarrett Stidham's existence. I wouldn't completely write him off just because the Patriots have now signed Cam Newton. I don't think he's done in New England forever. Okay, um, this one's fun. There are two quarterbacks that, in my opinion, have been overlooked and underrated. Number one is Tua Tungvaloa, the quarterback, the rookie quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. And... Oh my gosh, I am so tired of people saying, you know, Tua's injury prone or Tua's going to have a short career. It actually makes me want to go out and buy a Tua jersey just to say, uh, suck it. Go ahead and doubt him. Now, and I do think that Tua needs to do a better job of staying in the pocket and learning when to let a play die, throw the ball away, it's over, stop fighting for more yards or trying to make a throw downfield. He got hurt in college when he was extending a play. But Tua is a franchise quarterback. Tua's a pocket franchise quarterback. He's a guy who needs to stay in the pocket. Tua's not a dual-threat quarterback. But I strongly believe in Tua as a franchise quarterback moving forward. You know, one of my favorite moments leading up to the NFL draft came from Nick Saban. 
Nick Saban, the Alabama head coach, he coached Tua in college. And if you look back in history, Nick Saban used to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And Nick Saban warned the Dolphins not to pass on Tua. He said, I don't do it. Because remember, years back, when Nick Saban was the Dolphins head coach, he passed on Drew Brees because of injury concerns. He said, you know, whether it was his decision or the doctor's decision or everybody, you know, all the, all the above parties, the decision was made in Miami to not bring in Drew Brees because of injury concerns. And Nick Saban was a part of that. And Nick Saban said, do not make the same mistake twice in Miami. Tua is legit. I'm all in. Me, Zach Schaumler, I I really believe in Tua as well. And I cannot wait for Tua to prove doubters wrong. Tua is underrated, underappreciated. The the fact that there are voices out there saying, Tua's going to have a short NFL career. He's going to get hurt. He's It's like, shut up. What do you know? I I just, I I don't understand. I I don't get it. Now, the other quarterback is also in Florida. It's Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew. I did a film analysis of Gardner Minshew last year in Jacksonville. And what I found, you know, my, my question always is, what's the film say? And the film said Gardner Minshew was a better quarterback last year in Jacksonville than Nick Foles. Everyone believes in Nick Foles. Some, nobody seems to buy into Gardner Minshew. And yet Gardner Minshew on the same exact team with the same exact players around him, Gardner was better. In fact, the Jaguars, oh, committed to Gardner rather than Nick Foles. Yet people keep saying, Gardner Minshew's not the answer. You know, maybe the Jaguars are going to tank for Trevor Lawrence. Now, I believe the Jaguars are going to have a bad year next year. I think they're going to struggle because their offensive, really, their their roster, (laughs) their players are not very good. They got a good quarterback. They got Minshew. That's about it. And I already know that people are going to come after Gardner Minshew you know, and blame him for the Jaguars' failures. It's just ridiculous. That's not true. The team around him is bad. But I want people to consider this. Gardner Minshew is $722,000 worth of a cap hit this year for the Jaguars. What that means is that he's insanely cheap. He's less than a million dollars a year. The Jaguars are paying him. The Jaguars have a franchise quarterback on a really, really cheap rookie contract. And they need to take advantage of that. The Jaguars had better take advantage of that. And if you're a Jaguars fan, hold your franchise accountable. Because for the next three years, the Jaguars are going to be paying Gardner Minshew next to nothing. They got to take advantage of that. They need to build around him. Gardner Minshew makes good decisions. He's accurate. He's very mobile. He's a galvanizing leader. He plays well in big moments at the end of the game. Go watch the Broncos-Jaguars film from last year. Gardner Minshew was firing his teammates up. He's on the sideline rallying the troops, making plays at the end. They won at the end of the game. Gardner Minshew has that it factor, that silly thing you can't quite define, where at the end of the game, the hair raises up on the back of his neck. He makes it happen. But I... I'm begging you, please, when the Jaguars struggle next year, don't blame Gardner Minshew. That's not his fault. Instead, build around him. Get better players because the reason why you're struggling is not because your quarterback is bad. It's because the roster around him isn't good enough to win games anyway. By the way, I want to give a lot of credit to 
Dwayne Haskins. I made a video, a film analysis about Dwayne Haskins. The one thing I didn't say, I'm asking people, go look at Dwayne Haskins' Instagram. Has anybody looked? The dude appears to be working his butt off. All he does is post pictures and videos of him training and working out and throwing the football and working with receivers. He hired a coach to help him. He hired a photographer to help take pictures and share the message. He has a chef. Anybody look at the physique of Dwayne Haskins? The dude looks thinned down. He looks built. I, I think that he's a he's thin down. I just think it's very cool that Dwayne Haskins has been spending his money to reinvest in his career. YouTube is a funny career where you make a little bit of money and you can either be really frivolous and spend it on silly things or you can take the money and reinvest in what you're doing and your creative work. I, I went and bought a laptop a little while back because it really helped me. I make editing videos is now way better because I have a video, I have a, a laptop that can process and render videos way faster. Dwayne Haskins is doing something similar where he's taking the money he's made and reinvesting it into his career. It's so awesome. I love the message he's been sending. I'm out here. I'm working. I'm training. I'm getting better every single day. Dwayne Haskins is putting in work. It's very clear and it's very obvious. And part of that, one of the key factors of that is hiring a photographer, hiring a guy to take pictures of him working out. Because I know it sounds trivial. People hate when people are out there working, but you have to tell your story. You have to say, hey, I am out here working every single day because his teammates are looking at that. People around the league are saying, oh, coaches, teammates, people say, hey, whether Dwayne Haskins does well or not, you can't say he wasn't prepared and wasn't doing work in the offseason to get better. That's a great message for Dwayne Haskins to put out to the world and say, hey, I am grinding. I want to say I so very much hope that Dwayne Haskins takes a massive step forward next year. I would love to see the work pay off. I think that's awesome. I just love everything I've seen from you know, outside of the field, not on film, but what I'm seeing on social media from Dwayne Haskins, the work he's doing. I mean, every single day. And either he's taking, either he's going out on a Saturday and taking a bunch of pictures and different clothing to make it look like he's working every day, or he's actually genuinely, genuinely working every single day. I think the latter's true. It's pretty clear. Dwayne Haskins is doing a ton of work. I want to give him props. I want to give him a shout out because I just hope that that work pays off and he takes a massive step forward next year in 2020, I guess this year in 2020. Okay, um, there's a story that I haven't seen circulating very much. I feel like it's bigger news that's not being reported on, and whether it's, I I think really the truth is that everybody's kind of preoccupied with Cam Newton, that people are forgetting about the Patriots getting in trouble. Um, But even if, I I have an interesting take here, because I think I have insight that a lot of people don't have, even in the media, even in the football world, because I've done something a lot closer to what we're going we're gonna to talk about with the Patriots here. The Patriots have been fined $1.1 million, and they lost a third-round draft pick. They got that taken away from them by the NFL because of the trouble they got into last year when they filmed a Bengals game. Now, here's the story behind the story. I think a lot of people are very quick to jump on the Patriots. I don't blame them. You, when you win a lot, people go... Is there a nefarious reason here? They get a little bit suspicious. And then the Patriots over the years have given people reason to call the Patriots cheaters. You had Deflategate uh, with Tom Brady deflating footballs. You had before that with Spygate in 2007. And I understand the emotion from people saying, the stupid cheaters, they're doing it again. 
But I don't think that's quite right here in this unique situation. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. You have what happened, and then you have the reason why the Patriots were punished, which I think is separate and different from that. Now, the Patriots have multiple parts of their organization. They have the football operations side of things. Then they also have, separate from that, a media operations, which every big corporation, every big company has a you know media division where you do YouTube or social media or you're making television content. You're making content to for marketing purposes, basically, to tell the story of your organization. And the Patriots media division has a series called Do Your Job, where they profile people who work for the Patriots organization. I encourage you to watch it. It's, it's interesting. It's not like the best content I've ever seen, uh, but it's good. It tells little documentary short stories about certain people that work in the Patriots organization. They're, they're documentary style videos. And during one of the filmings for one of those videos, a cameraman shot footage of the Bengals and Browns game. He was wearing a Patriots logo and he got in big trouble because you're not supposed to do that. And this particular video was that was being filmed by the documentary crew was about a guy in the Patriots scouting department kind of telling the story of how he does his job, what work goes into it, the stuff behind the scenes, yada, yada. And he was at the Bengals Patriot, the Bengals, excuse me, the Bengals Browns game scouting the Bengals for their next game coming up. And he had a camera crew with him on site. And I get that this all sounds nefarious. You're like, it's a scout. He's got a camera crew there. They're filming the game. Zach, what other information do you need? I get why NFL fans hear that and get very, very mad. But I want to ask people, and I think the answer is no to most people, have you ever been a cameraman? How many people listening to this show have ever operated a camera for Pact of Network or Fox Sports or ESPN or United College Game Day? I've done those jobs. Pac-12, ESPN, Fox Sports, College Game Day. I even worked for a documentary crew. I operated a camera shooting a documentary. It's called Almost Champions. It's about a, uh, a football team that replayed a game 20 years later. And when you're holding a camera, especially when you're filming a documentary, either you have a producer or a director, or if you're the guy editing the video, you're really smart and you go, I have to shoot a ton of B-roll. You have to get a ton of footage. You have to constantly be shooting footage. Always be shooting is literally something that we would say on set in the documentary film because you're like, if you miss a moment, you're screwed. It's just stupid. And so when you're filming, you're constantly looking for B-roll footage. B-roll footage is you know images and other stuff you play when you're doing voiceover or whatever. A good example, I guess, is when I do a film analysis video. Some of the time you're watching footage of something I'm specifically talking about. Sometimes I'm just hiding edits and I'm playing footage of a guy throwing the ball because it's easier to hide my cut than have me you know, talking on film and show a weird cut. So it makes editing easier to have B-roll. You're always looking for B-roll. And so the Patriots had an ambitious cameraman in their television department, totally separate from the football operations entity, and he filmed something he shouldn't have. It's not good. You can't do that. And he got fired. But I don't think that the Patriots were trying to cheat. It was a cameraman trying to get footage for B-roll. It was a cameraman who probably had to edit the video later saying, I need as much footage as humanly possible. So when I have an interview with a stupid scout who can't talk on camera at all, and he's stuttering, and I got to cut stuff out, and I got to hide cuts, 
I need something to go to. Hey, let's shoot footage of the game. Now, it seems like he knew it was wrong. He did get fired. It sounded like a mistake. But I, I just, I, I don't think this is what it sounds like. On, on the service, you're like, man, the Patriots cheated. But I really think it's an instance of a cameraman trying to get as much footage as he possibly could. Now, the Patriots were punished. They were fined $1.1 million. Again, they also lost that third-round draft pick. And some will say that, hey, the punishment means, of course, they were cheating. They'll say, hey, the reason the Patriots got punished was clearly they were guilty. That's not true. The NFL could not find any nefarious use in their intention with this footage. But they had to punish the Patriots. Now, this is the same team that wins all the time. So when you win a lot, everyone's skeptical anyway. And then they go, well, yeah, in 2007, the Patriots got caught cheating with Deflategate and a couple, or excuse me, with Spygate. And then a couple years later, they got caught with Deflategate deflating footballs. So no matter what happened in this Patriots story, the NFL had to punish them, no matter what happened. And even if they don't, I guess not even if the, if the, if the NFL somehow had said, if the NFL somehow hadn't punished the Patriots, it's just bad optics. It looks bad. It looks like there's favoritism or, you know, why are the Patriots not getting punished? They cheated. What's happening? And the Patriots have to have self-awareness here. If any franchise cannot get in trouble making a mistake with the camera, it's the Patriots. There's one team that has the microscope on them way more than any other franchise, especially when they're holding a camera. It's the Patriots. So it's a lack of self-awareness. It's a mistake. But this is not the same as Deflategate. Remember in 2007, what am I I keep saying Deflategate. I don't know why. I mean Spygate. In 2007, with Spygate, the Patriots lost a first-round pick. The fine, the money fine was lower, sure. But the part of that is inflation. It's been, what, 13 years since... Uh, Spygate. So inflation, yeah, they're going to find Robert Kraft a million dollars and saying it was like 550 or 750 last time. But here's the, the huge deal that no one's talking about. When the Patriots were punished for Spygate, they lost a first round at draft pick. That's a big deal. That's a huge, massive thing. When you lose a first round draft pick, it's a gigantic cut to your organization because you're losing a potential starter. Now, a third round pick is not nothing. But it's not a first-round pick. There's a reason why the punishment was not quite the same as it was last time. I don't think the crime is as legitimate. It's, look, the NFL sending a message to the Patriots, hey, you got to stop having problems with cameras. You can't get caught. No more funny business. No stupid stuff with cameras. You got to get your stuff together. And we're going to hold you accountable. Here's a third-round draft pick because we can't have this story in the media anymore. But I don't think the Patriots were actively cheating. If they were... Why wasn't their punishment even greater? Because Spygate was way worse. Spygate was a first-round draft pick. And I just, I think it was more of a slap on the wrist. Hey, Patriots, dude, what are you doing? You can't, you can't do that. But I, I just don't think the Patriots were cheating. Again, have you ever been a cameraman? I have. I've worked for networks. I've worked for a documentary crew. I've shot a movie. And when you're doing that kind of work, you're always filming. You're aggressively trying to get as much footage as you possibly can. Whether the guy got caught up or he knew he was doing bad but didn't care because he wanted footage for a stupid YouTube video. I've been there on that side of things. And I think this was a cameraman who screwed up. And I don't think it was a Patriots trying to cheat. Whew. 
Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about baseball. And I, I care about baseball probably for the first time in a really long time. That's not true. Major League Baseball. I love this. Baseball is a, a fantastic, wonderful sport. The league and I have had a little bit of trouble. We'll talk about baseball. We'll talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. Uh, I'm going to rank them. For the, and the first time I've ever really done this is ranking every quarterback in the NFL. I found a way to do it that I, works for me. We'll do some Ask Zach questions at the end of the show. My name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. And uh, you know what else is back? Baseball's back. Baseball is back. And I'm actually really, really excited. Um, I want to just kind of jump in. Here are the details we know about the return of the major, not the return, but the the shortened Major League Baseball season. It's going to be a 60-game season, 6-0, 60. Uh, the season's going to run from the last week in July until the last week in September. Very condensed season, 60 games in the course of about two months. The trade deadline is August 31st. Um, here, there's some cool new wrinkles I really like where in extra innings, a runner's going to start on second base. And it's going to be the runner, whoever... Whoever the last out was of the previous inning, that guy is going to go from, hey, you were out, like bottom of the ninth, you were out. Hey, well, bottom of the 10th, guess what? You're now on second base to start the inning. And there's also going to be a universal designated hitter in both the AL and the NL. Every team is going to have a designated hitter. I love that. I think it's great. Uh, We don't need pitchers batting. I just think that they can focus on batting. We'll bring someone in who's better at the job, who's better at hitting. It's uh, it's interesting. I think I like it. I think it gives people like uh, there's a video by John Boyce about Adam Dunn where he talks about how the guy hated running. Well, hey, Adam Dunn doesn't need to play right field at first base. He can just be a hitter, do what he does best and hit. That's good. Guys like Prince Fielder, people who are great at that role can be just batters. I think it's great. Now, I'm excited. I was watching a video last night. It's called it was called what? One million IQ. MLB plays, it's by Made the Cut. And I just want to be clear, I love the sport of baseball. I I love the sport. It's a great sport. Now the league over here, the league of Major League Baseball, is very different from the sport of baseball. The sport's amazing. The league I have problems with. I've been really struggling with the MLB. You know, the cheating wore me out. Um, I believe that they have way too many regular season games. 162 games. It's a long season. It's too many. And if you oversaturate the market with games, then those games lose their meaning. And then, uh, you know, the the unwritten rules, it it just drives me nuts. Like, we have to hit this guy because he hit this guy, and he can't flip the bat. It's like, can we just play baseball? Can we, we what's the the, the nonsense behind the scenes, the politics of it? Like, hey, I got to throw this guy out of the game because he did this at this time. It's like, I, it drives me nuts. I hate all that stuff. But the sport is amazing, and I love it. And I think the best thing about baseball to me is the tension it has. The tension in baseball is like no, I mean, in a meaningful game, it's like no other thing. Because you have, imagine a one-run game, there's a base runner on second, it's the bottom of the ninth, and you know that any pitch, any pitch can be a base hit, that allows the runner to round third and score at the plate, or maybe even a play at the plate. That, that's so intense to me. I love that thought of, like, any pitch can be the one that ends the game. It just, 
I don't think there's another sport like it where I know in basketball you can have a last-second shot. I know in football you could have maybe like a crazy punt return at the end of the game. But it's not the same way where I, I, just, I just go back to like at the bottom of the ninth, that moment you can't replace it in, base, in any other sport. Baseball has it. Other sports don't quite have it. It's exciting. There's so much depth. And I want to like Major League Baseball again. I want to be, you know, for a long time, I've been kind of just waiting till the playoffs. Then I pay attention to baseball because the regular season, who cares about some random game in the middle of June? I, I just go like, it's a Tuesday, the 9th in June. Like, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's like the third game in a row. Some team is playing in Cleveland. I'm like, I, I'm not going to watch that. It, it doesn't matter that much because there's always another game tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And Major League Baseball has been losing me for quite a while. And it's not something I feel good about. I grew up a Major League Baseball fan. I played baseball as a kid. I love the sport. I think it's great. But slowly, I've just been pulling away. Like, we all have this old friend. Everyone has an old friend that you grew up together, you liked them. And then something happened where you just started separating and your interests got different. And he likes to play video games and you like to go hiking or he's got a girlfriend and you're like, I want to hang out with you, but you're always busy. Whatever it is. We all have this one friend that you've just kind of drifted apart for literally kind of not really a definable reason or not really a reason you feel good about. But it's happened. And that's really what happened with me in baseball. And so Major League Baseball, again, the sport of baseball. I go watch Portland Pickles games. Uh, I did last. I've gone pretty much every summer I can. Portland Pickles are this little tiny dinky Woodbat summer ball team in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And I, I love going to games. I love baseball. But Major League Baseball has been something I've really struggled with. And this year, having a 60-game season, that's what I've wanted from baseball for so, so long. 60 games. 6-0. Instead of 162. 102 fewer games in this season than last year. And I think it's going to be great. Games are going to mean more than ever before. That game on a Tuesday now says, hey, there's not that many more games. That's got to matter. The pressure's on. Every single game matters so much more when the market isn't oversaturated with games. I just love it. I, I do wish that games are a little bit more spread apart. I think that 60 games in the course of two months, that's a lot. Like That's every single night having a baseball game, basically. Um, that's a bit much. I think that's tough to follow for me personally. Like I, I know that there's going to be days I miss and I go, well, hey, every third day I'm going to check in and see what's going on with baseball. But for the first time in a couple of years, I'm so excited to watch Major League Baseball. I love the sport. I watch way too many videos on YouTube about baseball. I think baseball is wonderful. But the league recently, the rules, the cheating, the amount of games, I just it's hard to keep up. I don't care. I just get lost in the, all the nonsense. And so this year feels like baseball minus a lot of the nonsense that I don't like. And I, I think maybe it's going to go back to normal later. I don't know. But this is a moment for me to really enjoy baseball, to watch baseball, to watch Major League Baseball and enjoy what I haven't enjoyed in a long time. I'm so excited. I don't know if I'm alone. I, I know a lot of people I'm sure are quarantined. They're like, look, I'll take anything. I'll take bowling. If it's a sport I can watch. So baseball, I think baseball's in a great position. This could be maybe um, kind of a renaissance year for baseball to really bring crowds back to say, hey, we're here. We're exciting. It's fun. 
And I hope I, I I'm just really hoping this is the year that baseball pulls me back. And I hope I stay. I want to stay. And I want baseball to make me love it again. So I, I hope that's what happens. I want to I want to like Major League Baseball. Um, I love the sport. I love watching games. I love games that matter. Every game is going to matter. It's going to be great. I think I think they got my attention. Well, I know they got my attention. I think they can hold me. Maybe even after this year. I'm, maybe I'm romanticizing baseball a little bit. Um, but I'm so excited to watch Major League Baseball. And I, I haven't said that in like four or five years. Okay, um, the Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, signed the franchise tag. So now basically, Dak is on a one-year contract where he's going to make just north of $30 million next year. And normally I would not pay that, that much money to Dak. I think he's a little bit overpaid in one year to make $30 million, in my opinion. But I do believe that this is kind of the perfect storm of events to make it okay. A couple of reasons. Number one, I'm happy for Dak. I think it's great. I think that Dak has been really underpaid for the majority his entire career. He's been making way less than he deserved. He's really gotten underpaid. I hope this year making $30 million really makes up for that, gives him money he does deserve. The Cowboys owe him, in my opinion, more than he's been getting. He's made nothing and make pennies in his career. And so I'm happy to see Dak get a big payday, take care of his family. Great. I think it's awesome. Truly, truly, genuinely, I go, I am so happy for Dak. $30 million is nothing to sneeze at. But I do believe the Cowboys are overpaying Dak Prescott. And, you know, in this situation, it works. It's a unique situation. Free agency is over. Uh, it's a one-year deal. They already lost Byron Jones. They're not going to bring him back. And they can use this year to evaluate Dak. And if he comes elite, then, hey, if Dak Prescott becomes an elite quarterback, pay him the money. Give him more money. I, I get it. Um, and if he doesn't, you can either cut bait or you can say, hey, Dak, we're not going to give you the big contract. You, were, you had a chance. You have a new coach. You have great receivers. You have a good offensive line. And you really didn't play like a quarterback worth $30 million. He's got an opportunity here. Dak has a chance to prove his worth next year. Um, I don't know that I would pay Dak $30 million a year. That's a ton of money. Because I think he needs help. I think he needs teammates to win. And when you pay Dak that much money, you lose a lot of salary cap space to pay other people around Dak. I think Dak needs help. And I wouldn't do that if I was the Cowboys. Now, Dak Prescott signing the franchise tag kind of sent me down this crazy rabbit hole where, you know, Dak's making over $30 million next year. And I had to ask myself, okay, which quarterbacks in the NFL would I be comfortable and would I want to pay $30 million? There's that, that line, $30 million. There's like not really many quarterbacks that want to pay more than that. And... You know, it's kind of crazy. There's a massive problem right now in the NFL where a ton of quarterbacks, like so many quarterbacks, are making way more money than I would pay them and then I then I think they deserve. Kind of I'd call it an epidemic. If if you know there wasn't a real actual pandemic in the NFL, it wouldn't feel as bad saying there's an epidemic in the NFL, quarterbacks are making too much money, too much of the salary cap. And so what I did, you know, I'm gonna rank the quarterbacks based on what I'd pay them. Uh, I'm going to go through the list of who I think, who I would, you know, based on the talent, I'm going to rank their talent and then say the talent has to match up with how much they're making. Here's how I would rank them. And then then the end, we're going to talk about the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, why I think so many of them are overpaid. And I want to start by saying I made a list. I came up with 38 names. 
38 names. Who would I pay? Of these 38 names, who would I pay $30 million to? Uh, now, I crossed off a lot of quarterbacks' names. I crossed off all the quarterbacks who were drafted in the last three quarterback classes. That's 2020, 2019, 2018. These are guys like Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, Baker Mayfield, Drew Locke, all the rookie quarterbacks, Justin Herbert. It's too early to judge Justin Herbert and list him in rankings in the NFL quarterback. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's too early for those guys to be in this conversation. Give them another year or two to figure it out. Maybe Sam Darnold, maybe Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's a fringe quarterback. We'll talk about him, uh, more on him later. But I left those younger quarterbacks out of the list. I also didn't include Marcus Mariota or Cam Newton. I didn't see enough of them last year. I don't know where they really rank. I have no idea how good they are. I, didn't, I haven't dove into their film. I don't know. And so who would I pay of those guys left? Who would I pay $30 million or more dollars to? These are quarterbacks that can win a ton, no matter what is around them. These are elite quarterbacks that you, know, you can afford to pay them more money because if you pay your quarterback a ton of money, you've you got to be able to win with less talent around you. These quarterbacks can still do that. These are the best of the best. And to be clear, if you don't know what elite is, if you're not sure whether a quarterback is elite, a great example is Dak Prescott. If you're like, is Dak an elite quarterback? If you have to ask that question, it's no. You shouldn't have to think about it. The four names I'm going to list, the four elite quarterbacks, in my opinion, in the NFL, were guys that I immediately went, yep, elite, 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 bang. It should be obvious. If you have to pause or aren't sure, it's no. The four names I came up with are Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and Carson Wentz. These are the four quarterbacks, in my opinion, that are worth $30 million or more dollars and are elite. I think Patrick Mahomes speaks for himself. Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson are ridiculously talented and really underappreciated, in my opinion. Uh, what stands out to me is the ability by Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson to win and make the playoffs and do very well, even with a bad offensive line. People have no idea how hard that is. Most quarterbacks cannot overcome having a bad offensive line. And Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, they both can. Carson Wentz is also elite. He should have been the NFL MVP two years ago. Maybe, maybe it's three years ago. The year that they won the Super Bowl, Carson Wentz got hurt. Nick Foles ended up winning the Super Bowl instead of Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz would have won the MVP if he'd played the final two games of the year and been healthy. Now, last year, the fact that the Eagles made the playoffs is just a miracle, in my opinion. Carson Wentz was throwing to nobodies and still made the playoffs, still did well. Carson Wentz is elite. I don't understand. I mean, there were so many injuries. There's so many receivers that got hurt last year. And Carson Wentz still found a way to be really, really special. And I think it says so much. And people don't seem to appreciate that. I don't get it. But again, my top-tier quarterbacks, guys I would pay $30 million or more to. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Carson Wentz. That's it. Those are the only four quarterbacks in the NFL I would give $30 million or more dollars to. So who's next? Now, Lamar Jackson's on the fringe, in my opinion. Lamar Jackson is on the fringe of being a $30 million guy. I want to see him play at an elite level for another year before I give him $30 million. I think he's going to. Uh, I think next year, after this year, I'd be pretty comfortable giving him that money. 
I believe that Lamar Jackson's going to get even better this year as a passer, which is crazy to think. Lamar Jackson just won the NFL MVP, and he's still got room to grow. He's still getting better. So Lamar Jackson is that fifth guy kind of right on the fringe. But those are the, the four elite quarterbacks, and Lamar Jackson's right there kind of in between. Now, these are my second-tier quarterbacks, guys I would pay 20 to $25 million to. And these are guys who really are good, but they need some help. And I, I really need to have more salary cap to get them better teammates so I can try to win a Super Bowl with these guys. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott, Big Ben, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins. Notice Dak Prescott's on the list. I am not a hater of Dak Prescott. I just wouldn't pay him $30 million. I think currently Dak Prescott belongs in the same conversation as Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, guys like that who are very good, but they need help in order to get over the hump and win a Super Bowl. First, let's talk about Tom Brady. Uh, I think Tom Brady's very simple. He literally needed to leave New England because he needed better teammates to win. Says enough to me. Tom Brady, love him. Favorite, he's my favorite quarterback ever. He's a second-tier quarterback at this point in his career. Pay him 20 to $25 million. Drew Brees is the same way. I love Drew Brees. I've read his book, Coming Back Stronger. He's, he's like the gold standard. I love him. But in the last three years, look at Drew Brees. He's had incredible teams and hasn't won a Super Bowl. Hasn't even made a Super Bowl in the last three years. Drew needs help. He hasn't gotten it done. Even though I love Drew Brees, I'm not giving Drew Brees $30 million. I got to pay people around him so I can still win with Drew Brees. Aaron Rodgers is another guy here. Uh, this deciding factor for me, th- this is going to make people very mad. Why are you saying Aaron Rodgers isn't an elite quarterback? The deciding factor for me was the way that he handled the 49ers defense. Go watch last year. Go watch how Russell Wilson played the 49ers. Go watch how Patrick Mahomes played against the 49ers. Russell Wilson almost beat them. He held his own. I think he did even, I think it might have actually, if I look back, did he beat the 49ers? Or was it like, I can't remember. Did it, he either beat the 49ers or it came down to like the final play and he almost beat the 49ers. My point is, Russell Wilson held his own against the 49ers. And when Aaron Rodgers played against the 49ers, In the NFC Championship game, he got embarrassed. It was bad. It was ugly. And two weeks later, Patrick Mahomes played against the 49ers defense. Did pretty well. Held the zone. Wasn't pretty. Found a way to win. Made it work. And so if Aaron Rodgers can get embarrassed by the same defense that Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes hold their own against, I'm not putting Aaron Rodgers in the same category as them. Sorry, I know it's going to make people mad, but I'm not doing it. Rodgers is good. He's a good quarterback. Given 20, 25 million, he's not elite. Packers fans are yelling at me. I'm so sorry, Tom Grossi. I'm sure you're mad too. I hope we can still be friends. People keep saying, you know, Packers fans keep saying, Aaron Rodgers just needs a good receiver. He's got Devontae Adams. He's got a good defense. And if you're saying Aaron Rodgers needs more help, that's my point exactly. Stop paying him so much money. Take a pay cut. 
and you might be okay. Last year, Aaron Rodgers had a good offensive line, good running game, a good defense, and came up short. And you know why the Packers couldn't trade for DeAndre Hopkins when DeAndre Hopkins clearly, I don't know if the Packers really had a chance to trade for him. This might be kind of a cheap shot. I don't mean it that way. But even if the Packers had wanted DeAndre Hopkins, they can't pay him. Try to trade for him. You can't afford him because they're too busy paying Aaron Rodgers the moon. So I believe the Packers are paying Aaron Rodgers too much. People are mad at me, but it's true. Now, the other guys in this tier are Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott, Big Ben, Kirk Cousins. They're all good quarterbacks. I'd pay them $20, $25 million. They still need good teammates. The other guy is Matt Stafford. Matthew Stafford is here too. And I love Matthew Stafford. I think Matthew Stafford is criminally underappreciated. I think Matthew Stafford might be... I probably didn't do him a service mentioning him at the end of this top, at the end of this this tier, because he probably belongs at the top of the tier. But I'm still not going to pay Matthew Stafford $30 million a year. He hasn't been able to win a lot in Detroit now. I think some of that is that he's been a victim of a bad organization. It's not entirely fair, but he hasn't been able to overcome that either. He hasn't won. You know, He made a lot of money, and he hasn't been able to elevate bad teammates around him. Not entirely his fault. It's not fair. But to me, that's still not an elite quarterback. Russell Wilson had no offensive line. Deshaun Watson, no offensive line. Uh, Matt, uh, Carson Wentz, no receivers. Like, literally nothing. He's thrown, to a, like he's thrown to a brick wall. And the brick wall still found a way to succeed. I mean, Matthew Stafford has had bad teammates, been on bad teams, yada, yada. But some quarterbacks can overcome that. Matthew Stafford has never done that. Therefore, Matthew Stafford, in my opinion... Is a second-tier quarterback. I don't think that's a hard argument to make. A lot of people probably agree with that. Um, but, you know, if I overpay Matthew Stafford, I can't pay his teammates. Now, Phillip Rivers is on the fringe of the second tier. I don't know whether Phillip Rivers is a Tier 2 quarterback or a Tier 3 quarterback below that. I, I got to watch film. At some point, I'm going to dive into the film of Phillip Rivers and, you know, figure out how good Phillip Rivers really is. I know he's not elite. And I just don't know whether he belongs in the same tier as Derek Carr or Drew Brees and Tom Brady. I don't know. And the film will determine that later down the road. Now, my third tier is guys made up, uh, made up of guys who I would give 10 to $15 million a year. And these are starting quarterbacks, but they're lower-end starting quarterbacks. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of help to win. To win a Super Bowl, that is. These are guys like, here, here's a list. It's Teddy Bridgewater. Ryan Tannehill, I would not pay Ryan Tannehill as much money as he's making. I think he's massively overpaid. I wouldn't give Ryan Tannehill $30 million a year. No way. Derek Carr, Nick Foles, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Tyrod Taylor, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, I think most people are going to argue with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff. People are going to say, what the heck? Tier 3? 49ers fans are furious. They're going to say, Tier 3? Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying he's awful. I'm just saying I'd pay him 10 to $15 million a year because he needs a lot of help. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Anybody watch my film analysis of the Super Bowl? How many opportunities Jimmy Garoppolo had and missed? Jimmy Garopp- uh, George Kittle, wide open, doesn't see him. What is he looking at? I have no idea. A lot of people are going to say, well, Jared Goff lost the Super Bowl and Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl. So did Rex Grossman. Rex, You can lose a Super Bowl and not be a special elite quarterback. 
Rex Grossman wasn't even a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying that Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo aren't franchise quarterbacks, but they're on the lower end of the spectrum. I would not pay either guy $30 million, and I really would not be comfortable paying them 20 to $25 million either. Jared Goff is massively, massively overpaid. I think worse than Ryan Tannehill. At least Ryan Tannehill makes plays. Ryan Tannehill, love him or hate him, he might be like one for seven, but that one pass he completed was on third and 17 in the fourth quarter on the last play of the game. Like Ryan Tannehill is massively overpaid, but at least he shows up when he needs to. Jared Goff, can you say the same? I, I, I can. I think Jared Goff is the most overpaid quarterback in the entire NFL. Actually, that's not true. I forgot to mention Jacoby Brissett. Did you know Jacoby Brissett next year is making $27.98 million? What the heck? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's crazy to me. So based on my metric, my ranking, pretty much every NFL quarterback is overpaid. And I believe that. I think every NFL quarterback is overvalued. That's not true. Overvalued is the wrong word there. Overpaid is true. I understand why quarterbacks are overpaid. Teams have no chance to win in the NFL if you don't have a starting quarterback. You have to have a starting quarterback to make it in the NFL. And I called, when Teddy Bridgewater signed a $20 million a year contract with the Carolina Panthers, I came out and said, that's a good deal. I like that. Because even though I think he's paid probably $5 million more than I would give Teddy Bridgewater, hey, $5 million and you got a steady, stable franchise quarterback. And in comparison to who's being more overpaid, Teddy Bridgewater or Jared Goff, Jared Goff is way more overpaid than Teddy Bridgewater. So in comparison, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater's being overpaid, but in relation to how much other people are being overpaid, Teddy Bridgewater, it's a solid deal. Now, these are the 10 highest paid quarterbacks in 2020. Number one is Russell Wilson. He's making $35 million a year. Deserved. Love it. Believe in that. Big Ben is making $34 million. Aaron Rodgers is making $33.5 million. Jared Goff. Also $33.5 million. Number, the fourth highest paid quarterback in the NFL next year, Jared Goff, making the same amount of money as Aaron Rodgers, making more than Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Are you kidding me? No way. Kirk Cousins is making $33 million. Carson Wentz is making $32 million a year. Solid. Dak Prescott making $30.1. I already talked about that, but it, eh, whatever. Matt Ryan, $30 million a year. Ryan Tannehill, 29.5, and Jacoby Brissett. Who would have thought stinking Jacoby Brissett is the 10th highest paid quarterback next year in the NFL? $27.98 million next year. I, I, I didn't even, when I made my list of quarterbacks, Jacoby Brissett wasn't even on the list because he's not even a starter. He's making almost $28 million a year to be a backup, more than Tom Brady and Drew Brees to sit on the bench behind Phillip Rivers. Think about that right now. People are throwing money around to quarterbacks like nobody's business. Jared Goff and Jacoby Brissett are making more money than Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, (laughs) Deshaun Watson. Now, I will say I also left off Mitchell Trubisky. He's not included simply because I wouldn't pay him any amount of money. If I had... Mitchell Trubisky on my team, he's cut tomorrow. I, he's not my starting quarterback. I would never, ever. I, Mitchell Trubisky is the worst starting quarterback, and he drives me nuts. Nobody, 
Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky are some of the most infuriating people I've ever watched on film. I hate watching Mitchell Trubisky. He makes so many obvious mistakes that I just, I, I couldn't do it, and I wouldn't pay him any amount of money. He'd be off my team. Now, think about this. Four top 10 highest paid quarterbacks in 2020 didn't even make the playoffs last year. Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, and Jacoby Brissett. None of them made the playoffs last year, and they're going to be in the top 10 highest paid quarterbacks this upcoming year. Now, Big Ben was hurt. That's fine. Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, and Ryan Tannehill, all are being paid more than I would pay them. Over $30 million a year? No way. Well, Ryan Tannehill, 29.5. I'd pay him 15, 18. He's solid. He did good. I want another year before I give him 30 million a year. But the quarterback market is getting insane. Like it's outrageous right now. If I had to choose between paying Jared Goff 33.5 million dollars or paying a rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, Tua, a rookie contract, I'm taking Tua or Joe Burrow or Drew Locke or any of these names, these Sam Darnold, these young quarterbacks, I'd much I take Jalen Hurts today over Jared Goff at $33.5 million in a heartbeat. I believe in Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts isn't going to break my back and make it so I can't pay anybody else. If I could pay a bunch of incredible receivers and a good offensive line, I could make Jalen Hurts work in the NFL. And there are more good quarterbacks now today than ever before. And, and I really hope that having an oversaturated market in the NFL where we're having... Look at the next couple of years. In like four years from now, we're going to have more quarterbacks than there are jobs in the NFL. You're going to have good quarterbacks. It's already started. Jameis Winston, maybe a starting quarterback. Marcus Mariota, maybe a starting quarterback in the NFL. They're both going to be backups potentially this year. Because the, the demand for quarterbacks is becoming lower than the amount of quarterbacks you have in the NFL. The market's getting oversaturated. And that's good for NFL teams because it's going to allow them to have more competition and be able to pay quarterbacks less. Okay, we can't get Andy Dalton. We'll pay Marcus Mariota instead. Does that make sense? I mean, Andy Dalton's a backup now. There are three guys who were starting last year who are not going to play next year. Maybe at all. Mariota, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, three starters who are quality, like solid, okay quarterbacks that I pay $10 million a year to be my quarterback that aren't going to play because there's just so many quarterbacks in the NFL right now. But again, I want to repeat this. I would only pay a quarterback $30 million or more if they were elite, if they could win with less. Can you win with bad teammates or average teams, an average roster around you? Russell Wilson. Deshaun Watson, they can win with a bad offensive line. Carson Wentz made the playoffs throwing to nobody. That's what elite is. I'm only paying you more if I can get away with paying other people less. And in my mind, there are only four quarterbacks that I would pay $30 million or more. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson. That's it. And I believe that soon, Lamar Jackson and or Kyler Murray are going to join that group of four. I think both Kyler and Lamar are special. We'll look at them moving forward. But that's it. The vast majority of the NFL playing the quarterback position, the vast majority of quarterbacks in the NFL are being disgustingly, grossly, 
massively overpaid. And I get it. You need a quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you're screwed. But I don't think the answer is paying Ryan Tannehill almost $30 million a year or Jacoby Brissett or Jared Goff. Pretty soon, there's going to be other answers you can have. And those are the guys. The other answers are the people. I, I just I would rather pay Jalen Hurts a million dollars to be my starting quarterback tomorrow than I would ever want to pay Jared Goff $33.5 million. That's insanity to me. I would never do that. Never, ever, 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 ever do that. Because Jared Goff is destroying your franchise and making it so you can't pay anybody else. Long topic. Really long topic. I loved it, though. Uh, really proud of the work I did. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I almost am not going to include graphics because that's so long. I don't know who's going to watch it and who's not. I'm just, it's just me talking on camera for a long time. Um, the NBA is returning, and I, I cannot wait to watch basketball. Basketball is an incredible sport. I think the NBA is doing so many good things right. And I want to share the little details you may not know that you need to know getting to, to get prepared for the NBA season coming up. There are 22 teams involved with the NFL restructured shorter season. Uh, the, the season is going to restart, I guess, because they, they had a pause before. The season is going to restart on July 30th. All the games, you probably know this, are held at Disneyland. And here are the key things that I didn't know that I needed to do research so I'll share with you guys. Um, they're playing eight games to quote, you know, quote regular season games. The NBA is going to play eight games to determine seeding for their playoffs. And uh, they're going to pare down from the 22 teams involved down to 16 teams for the NBA playoffs. Eight teams in the West, eight teams in the East, just like normal. A 16-team playoff. And it's so awesome. I'm hoping for intense and meaningful basketball. I really think that's what we're going to get. I think it's going to be an incredible, incredible playoff bracket, and I just can't. It's going to be just fun, man. Uh, there are nine teams in the East that are coming to uh, Orlando, to Walt Disney World, and there are 13 teams from the West. Twelve teams have already clinched a playoff spot. This is based on the regular season records from before games were suspended. The 12 teams that are already locked for the playoffs that just have to determine seating. Remember, these teams are not... They're in the playoffs, yes. They still have to earn their spot and earn their seed with the eight-game kind of season we're going to have in Walt Disney World. But the six teams in the West that are already locked to make the playoffs right now, guaranteed, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, the OKC Thunder, and the Houston Rockets. Now, the six in the East that are guaranteed to make the playoffs because of their records are in order, I guess, from ranking the Milwaukee Bucks, the Toronto Raptors, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, the Indiana Pacers, and the Philadelphia 76ers. It's great. I love it. I can't wait to watch 76ers, and they're, they're, we'll get into it. I'll talk about my favorite storylines after this. Um, those teams that I listed, those 12 teams, are just now competing for seeding. To be, they're trying to be the highest seed they possibly can to play easier teams in the NBA playoffs. Now, three teams are fighting for the final two spots in the Eastern Conference playoffs. You have the Brooklyn Nets, the Orlando Magic, and the Washington Wizards. One of those teams is not going to make the playoffs. I'm not sure which one. Um, and then in the West, you have seven teams competing for the final two spots in the Western Conference playoffs. You have the Dallas Mavericks, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans, Pel New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Phoenix Suns. Five teams are not going to make it. Only two of those teams I just listed 
are going to also make it into the playoffs. I hope I explained that all well enough. It's complicated, but very interesting and going to make really exciting fast basketball. I think eight games is perfect. You have eight games. If it's too many, then you can take a game off. No, all eight games are going to be very important. They're all going to matter. And we're going to get great, intense, passionate, interesting basketball from players that want to win. Now, there are a couple storylines I can't wait to follow when the NBA playoffs start. Number one, actually, uh, before I even get into that, I think the, the most interesting, albeit darkest and harshest story is, how's it going to go? I mean, is anybody going to get coronavirus? What happens if LeBron gets corona? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a horrible thought. Um, that's not something I'm excited to see. But I guess it is. A, before I get into the storylines, I'm excited to watch. That's a storyline that I probably should acknowledge that's interesting and um, maybe dark and scary because I don't want that to happen. I don't want to have – it would suck so bad. I mean, imagine we get a great matchup where, like, it's the NBA Finals and we have – I just would hate to have someone lose their star player because of coronavirus. That would be, like, terrible. It's not, nobody wants to see that. Now, the storylines I can't wait to watch – I want to watch the Lakers and the Clippers so badly in the Western Conference Finals. I want to watch that L.A. versus L.A. battle. Now, I'm really sad it can't happen in the Staples Center in front of a ton of people. I was so excited all year. Basically, from October on, I've been looking forward to having those two teams match up in the Western Conference Finals. I'm so disappointed we're not going to get it in Staples Center with a giant crowd and a ton of intensity. It's it's sad. It's a loss to basketball. But we can still have two great teams, L.A. versus L.A., LeBron versus Kawhi in the Western Conference Finals. Now, number two, I'm curious if Giannis can win it all. Can Giannis, I'm not even going to try to say his last name, can the Greek Freak win? Can the Greek Freak win it all? He really elevated his game this year. One of my favorite storylines going into the year was, can Giannis elevate his team enough to take them through the playoffs and win. They're the number one seed right now in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I I think maybe he wins the championship. I don't know. But whoever plays against Milwaukee, I think it's going to be Milwaukee that gets to the NBA Finals, whether it's the Clippers or the, probably the Lakers, I, I hope. I, I can't wait to watch. Can Giannis, I mean, how? imagine this thought. Giannis versus LeBron in the NBA Finals, and Giannis dominates and beats LeBron. I, I, I don't know. I love LeBron. It would still be very fascinating to watch. Can Giannis take over? Can LeBron challenge him? I don't know. That, that I, I so badly want to see that. These two guys, these dominant, or, or maybe, maybe Anthony Davis comes and plays a gigantic factor, and LeBron and the Greek freak, the Greek freak are important, but actually Anthony Davis becomes a star. I don't know. But I want to watch. Can Giannis pull it off? Can Giannis win a championship? I don't know. Can't wait to find out. Now, can the 76ers figure it out? Listen to the starting five for the Philadelphia 76ers. You have Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Jabel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. They have this incredibly, incredibly gifted, talented starting five. And yet they're sixth in the Eastern Conference right now. Could maybe that tournament-style playoff help them pull together? Maybe the playoffs is where talent becomes more important than cohesion. I don't know, but maybe. That's what I want to see. Can, can the Sixers figure it out? Because they have been woefully underperforming all year. 
Number four, can Zion Williamson make the playoffs? Zion Williamson has the easiest schedule. Uh, I can't remember who reported it. The easiest schedule in the NBA playoffs bracket, whatever that little thing is. And the Pelicans are an interesting team. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, J.J. Redick, Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball. You forgot about Lonzo. Josh Hart. Can't wait to watch. Can the Pelicans make the playoffs? I, I want to watch Zion. I think Zion will be fun. I don't think Zion is incredible. I think Zion's very solid, but a star. Whether you're the, you don't have to be the most talented person to be a massive star. Not everybody's Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish was both an incredible star and very talented. We all know that singer who can't really sing. The Weeknd. The Weeknd. Anyone ever heard The Weeknd live? I haven't, but I've seen videos. It's terrible. The Weeknd is not good live. But my point is you don't need to be the best at your job to be a massive star. And even though Zion is not the best player right now in the NBA, he has my attention. I want to watch it. He's very fascinating. Now, Damian Lillard, number five, Damian Lillard. Can Damian Lillard will the Portland Trailblazers into the playoffs? I think the Blazers are interesting, not just because I'm a local Portland native, but you have Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. But the crazy part of the story to me is Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony in Portland? Working cohesively with other people? I don't know. Can Portland make it happen? I think they're like, they're the ninth out of eight teams right now battling for a playoff spot in the West. Can the Portland Trailblazers get into the playoffs? I don't know. Then how, you know, can they win, can they win more? Can they win in the playoffs? How, how long does this go with the Blazers? How long can Damian Lillard kind of carry their team? And number six, I think the Rockets are <sighs> fascinating, man. The Rockets have James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And how do they handle the playoffs together? How do they handle that intense situation where you, uh, what happens at the end of a game? Who takes the final shot? I don't know. I, do the egos clash in the playoffs between Russell Westbrook and James Harden? I have no idea. I want to find out. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'd love to see it. Now, those are the, all the storylines I'm excited to watch. I'm just so excited for basketball. I, 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 mean, I don't know about you. I've been cooped up for a long time. I want sports so badly. I want to root for LeBron. I want to watch Brad Stevens coach. I want to yell at my TV. I want to have fun. I want intensity. I want drama. I'm so glad the NBA is coming back, and I, I just think it's going to be incredible. I just, I'm going to have my dad over. We're going to watch LeBron. I'm gonna, I, just, I, I, can't, I can't wait. Every single night. Every single night, I hope I'm watching a basketball game. He's just having the time of my life. I, I, I really want that so badly. I hope, I hope my days are baseball during the day, NBA at night. The next day, we'll talk about it. It'll be so much fun. I can't wait. The NBA is going to be incredible, and uh, I, I'm so looking forward to it. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I know. You're like, what the heck? It's our, You're like so far into the show. I got more to say. I'm sorry, but I, I got more to talk about. Uh, we're going to do some Ask Zach questions after the break. And then we'll call it a show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. We'll answer questions from the audience in a minute. And uh, we'll be right back. All right, we are back. Um, in case anybody wants to know, you know the thing I do, I, I take a break because um, you know talking for a long time you know, continuously is really, really hard on your throat. Uh, I don't really recommend it, actually. Like That last segment was me talking for 40 minutes straight. That's a long, long time. Um, and if you're doing a podcast, I recommend I, I go, I take a break between like topics when I can and I go gargle salt water it really helps. Um, 
Otherwise, you just get too like lispy, and it gets it's hard to talk. My my, my voice, my throat suffers definitely. So I just want to be clear: like I take a break because I have to, and because it hurts my throat if I don't, and I go gargle salt water. Um, and it helps a lot, by the way. I know a lot of people listening to the show like doing a podcast. They have their own podcast. Uh, gargle salt water. It helps so much. It makes it easier to talk. It helps reduce swelling in your throat. It cleans it out. It just feels great. Um, it's time for Ask Zach. Now, after I've given you a disgusting image in your mind, uh, Ask Zach is my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience. And in case you don't know how that works, and please don't just give me questions. Give me concerns and comments and share your thoughts as well. I want to. This is an opportunity for, to give the audience a voice for you guys to share your thoughts with me, and we'll play. You know, talk about it on the show. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. It literally pays my rent, so please do. Um, but a dollar a month, simply the dollar a month, gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. If you submit a question on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I read every single thing submitted on Patreon. I look at everything with my eyeballs, and then I pick the top couple to read on the show. We have an ask. Uh, what am I saying? We have a we have a Last of Us question coming up. At the end of this topic, I want to leave it at the end in case people don't care about video games. Um, the first question is from Curmudgeon. Oh, my gosh. I need my phone. Oh. Did I leave it running? I don't know. We'll find out. Headphones are off. Uh, the first question is from Curmudgeon, who has just an incredible, incredible name. I love that. Will it load? Internet's terrible. Um, so it, it did not. Oh, man. Why does, why does this happen? Oh, here we go. The first question is from Curmudgeon. Again, Curmudgeon is just a phenomenal, phenomenal name. He says, I feel like in regards to young up-and-coming quarterbacks, Gardner Minshew is often thrown on the back burner in comparison to players like Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield. Not that I can say I have studied their film as deeply as you might, but what is it about Gardner that some analysts and sports commentators alike writing him off as a fringe starting quarterback while players like Daniel Jones who had much better weapons, are viewed as franchise cornerstones. Uh, the biggest issue is that analysts, I believe, did not expect Gardner Minshew to work. He wasn't a first-round pick, and people have such a difficult time changing their viewpoint of a player. This is why analysts still say, well, I want to see what Josh Rosen can do. Well, uh, just because you thought Josh Rosen was going to be good out of college doesn't mean it didn't work. And people thought that Gardner Minshew wasn't going to work out of college, so now they have a hard time shifting their view of a player. I mean, this happens in the real world, too. Uh, when I started making YouTube videos, a lot of people were like, what the heck? I mean, you know, the only people who watch my content are people who don't know me in real life because they view me as Zach Schaumler, the student, or the football player, or this or that. They can't view me as a sportscaster. It's hard to change your view of somebody and change other people's viewpoint of you. You know, Drew Locke was a second-round pick, but when people saw him in college, everyone for years assumed Drew Locke is going to become a franchise quarterback. So even though he wasn't a top first round pick, it made sense. Oh, that's the narrative we've always said about him. Nobody has ever believed that Gardner Minshew was going to become a franchise quarterback. They didn't in the NFL draft. They didn't when he was in college. He had to transfer to four different colleges. I mean, it's hard to change your opinion to people. And then remember, Gardner Minshew is on a bad roster. The Jaguars roster is terrible. Gardner could play, Gardner Minshew could be fantastic next year and still lose because his team is terrible. Now, part of the reason why Dak Prescott was viewed so easily as a starter, even though he was a fourth round pick, 
people did have to change their view of him. But Dak Prescott made it really hard because Dak Prescott won a bunch of games, was on a great roster, and made the playoffs. Because he won and made the playoffs, people were like, okay, well, Dak has to be a starter. So their viewpoint was easier to change. Gardner Minshew hasn't had that luxury. He's been on a bad team, the Jaguars. Now, I am confident in Gardner Minshew. I want to just imagine, let's imagine that the Jaguars discard Gardner Minshew after this year. They draft Trevor Lawrence instead. And, uh, well, here's the thing. Trevor Lawrence is going to still be on a bad team. And so you're still the same Jaguars with a slightly different quarterback who you got to restart everything with. Meanwhile, Gardner Minshew would land on his feet. Okay, if the Jaguars get rid of Gardner Minshew, Bill Belichick will take him. Bill Belichick would love to have Gardner Minshew. Or he can go to the Saints and eventually replace Drew Brees. Or go replace Big Ben in Pittsburgh. I mean, Gardner Minshew is a great quarterback. And he's going to land on his feet somewhere. If the Jaguars don't believe in him, that's their problem. But Gardner Minshew is a good enough quarterback. He can leave Jacksonville and be okay and still find a way to make it work. If he goes to another team, he'll just do what he's always been doing, which is playing really well and leading men. He's a galvanizing great leader who's got great accuracy, great timing. He does, he's got NFL traits and NFL qualities. And I just think that if the Jaguars don't take advantage of the fact that they have a franchise quarterback, Gardner Minshew, on a rookie contract, they're idiots. Because you have a quarterback that you're paying nothing. Take advantage of that. Go get free agents. Go trade for people. Go make gigantic moves in free agency. Go pay great players and build around Gardner Minshew. And if the Jaguars don't do that, they're making a massive mistake. And Gardner's fan, you know, what am I saying? Jaguars fans, Gardner. I'm, I'm already calling the Jaguars the Gardners. <laughs> if Jaguars fans don't hold their team accountable, if I'm a if I'm a Jaguar fan, and my team drafts Trevor Lawrence and doesn't draft a player that helps us win next year, I'd be furious because. How many times do the Jaguars got to change quarterbacks before they realize, oh, it's our approach. We got to get better players around our quarterback. That's my two cents. Uh, The next question is from John. I love John's question. This is a great one. John says, why hasn't Russell Wilson received any MVP votes, though he continues to be a top three quarterback in the league year in and year out? Um Here's the truth, man. People get way too easily distracted with a new story, whether it's MVP in football or the NBA or the Heisman Trophy. Usually, look at the Heisman Trophy. It usually goes to someone who is unexpected. Johnny Manziel came out of nowhere. Lamar Jackson came out of seemingly nowhere. People that win the Heisman Trophy are people that aren't expected to win the Heisman. Joe Burrow. Did anybody think week one of college football last year, Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman Trophy? No. And notice that when someone is the Heisman favorite week one, they really never actually win. Because people get bored. We've been tracking this guy all year. Eh, what's the cool, fun, exciting story? Am I wrong? I'm not. <laughs> like, people like new. Now, Joe Burrow deserved it. I'm not saying that. But Russell Wilson last year, should have won the MVP, in my opinion. You know, Joe Burrow's in college football. Russell Wilson's in the NFL. But it's the same reason why LeBron James doesn't win the NBA MVP often enough. Because the media gets distracted by guys like James Harden 
or Russell Westbrook? What's the new story this year, whether it's triple doubles or scoring a bunch of points or doing it in a way no one's ever seen before? Like, whatever new, crazy little angle the media can find, they get all excited and distracted by that from what's actually great. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was incredible last year. I made a video. It's like two minutes, but it's got film, and it's like it's a little short film about why Russell Wilson should have won MVP last year. Go watch it. I'm so proud of it. It's fantastic. And the thing is that people preferred the new breakout story of Lamar Jackson. Statistically, Russell Wilson was better than Lamar Jackson. Other than the fact that, oh, Lamar Jackson broke rookie, broke quarterback rushing records. It's a new thing. People like the new, different angle. Russell Wilson was on a worse football team than Lamar Jackson last year. Lamar Jackson had talent all around him. Russell Wilson had to carry and take advantage. He made DK Metcalf look incredible. My point is that two years ago, it was Patrick Mahomes. This last year, it was Lamar Jackson. This next year, it'll probably be Kyler Murray. People like a new star they don't expect. Joe Burrow, Johnny Manziel, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. The media loves new. They love that new idea. That's that's why I think Kyler Murray is kind of the, not not even the dark horse. I think Kyler Murray could very well win the MVP this year because he's got great people around him. DeAndre Hopkins is going to put up big numbers and nobody expects it. And that unexpected part of winning a, an MVP trophy or a Heisman trophy, the unexpected, the new part of a story is what people like. And that's why I don't really give a lot of... I mean, Michael Jordan got five MVP trophies because he was... Was it five? Was it six? I can't remember. He got a bunch of MVPs because he was popular. And now people won't vote LeBron James MVP because they don't want to tarnish Michael Jordan's legacy, which is so weird to me. So the, my point is that MVP trophies are kind of silly and ridiculous anyway. Maybe, maybe I'll start giving out my, my Zach Schaumler MVP trophy. That'd be cool. Like, I'll do a segment every year. Here's who I think should have been MVP. Here's why. Screw the media. They're dumb. I'm trying to be less biased. I don't know. Uh, but people so often get, you know, mesmerized by newness. The idea of new. New is what's beaten Russell Wilson in the MVP race now two years in a row. It's what's kept him from winning an MVP. People love new. Why doesn't Drew Brees have more MVPs? Why doesn't Tom Brady? Why doesn't people like new? New stories are popular, and those are the guys who win trophies and win MVPs and win win Heismans because the media especially gets mesmerized and excited by a new story. Russell Wilson's old news. We know he's good, and people don't want to give him an MVP award, even though I, I really believe Russell Wilson was unequivocally should have won the MVP last year. I mean, he was the best quarterback. Uh, maybe, maybe other than maybe Patrick Mahomes is better, but like Russell Wilson, what he did with the people around him, unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. Okay, Daniel writes in. Daniel says, what would you say is your most unpopular NFL opinion? Albeit player, team, coach, etc. I have two I want to talk about. Um... One of them is that Julio Jones is the best receiver in the NFL. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to say that here's what I think people really, really find unpopular when I say this, and people hate it and get angry at me, and I don't care. Um, Aaron Rodgers is no longer an elite quarterback. 
And I know Packers fans are furious, but everyone also always complains that people complain and make excuses for Aaron Rodgers. They say like, you know, he's, he's really good. And I, I think he is really good. He's no longer elite, but people always complained for years that Aaron Rodgers didn't have a good defense. And then last year, Aaron Rodgers had a really good defense and the Packers fans decided to move the finish line to say, no, now, now the defense isn't the problem now. Now Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough good receivers around him. It's like, well, he's got Devontae Adams. And I, I don't know why. Why did the finish line move, I guess, is my point. It, the, there's always some problem that isn't Aaron Rodgers' fault, whether it's the coach or the defense or the franchise is incompetent or the receivers are bad. Nobody ever holds Aaron Rodgers accountable. All I hear is excuses, excuse after excuse after excuse, and it just is driving me nuts, man. Aaron Rodgers is a very good quarterback. I I would pay Aaron Rodgers $20, $25 million. did a whole topic about it. I love Aaron Rodgers. He's not an elite quarterback, though. He's not an elite quarterback in the NFL. He makes way too much money, and he cripples his team. That's that's the honest truth about Aaron Rodgers, and he's kind of... Ah, is he the best leader? I don't know. Now, I will say, Danica Patrick is now dating Aaron Rodgers, and I think, man, when I watched Aaron Rodgers answer questions about Jordan Love, I went, wow, Aaron Rodgers appears to be mature, like way more mature than I've ever seen him before. And maybe it's the fact that Danica Patrick's having a positive influence on his life and shifting the perspective of Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. But again, you know, if Aaron Rodgers had taken a pay cut, then maybe the Packers wouldn't feel the need to draft his replacement. I know that's tough. I know it's dark. But you're paying a guy a boatload of money who really isn't playing at an elite level anymore. And Packers fans make, like, it's either the coach or the defense or, you know, the receivers aren't good enough. You have Devontae Adams. You have a good defense. You have a good coach. What more do you want? Aaron Rodgers got clobbered by the 49ers last year. And I I watched guys like Russell Wilson play the very same defense and hold their own very well. And then Patrick Mahomes played the very same defense. Patrick Mahomes played well. And so I just do not believe that Aaron Rodgers belongs in the same category in the elite level with Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. There's too many things I go like, I, I, it's time to, to pull the cord and say Aaron Rodgers, very good quarterback, not elite. Now, number two, my other really controversial opinion that makes people very angry is that, um, and I just don't know how you can look at this and not agree, Julio Jones is the best all-around receiver in the NFL. Now, other guys have, you know, um, DeAndre Hopkins is great over the middle, catching contested passes, and Michael Thomas is a possession receiver. I, I like him. He's great. But Julio Jones is like 10 out of 10 at everything. He catches everything. He posterizes people. He embarrasses people. He makes one-handed catches. He makes catches over people. He dives. He does everything. Then, did anybody watch the Eagles-Falcons game last year where Julio Jones took a two-yard screen pass, like 80 yards for a touchdown and won the game? He's good after the catch. He can run with the ball in his hands. He runs great routes. He can catch everything. Every time I watch Julio Jones, I'm consistently blown away. He's, He's great. He's so good. And he's got more tools than all the other top receivers in the NFL. 
He can do everything. There's not another receiver in the NFL that can do everything like Julio Jones can. Everything at a high level. And then you calculate, well, you ever seen the videos of Julio Jones training? The dude goes after it. His work ethic is insane. And it's very clear. When you watch Julio Jones play, his work ethic is great. And he never complains. On the field, off the field, work ethic, ability, skill, talent, hardware, everything. Everything you can possibly, every criteria you can come up to measure a receiver, Julio Jones is the best in the NFL. And I just don't know how you can argue with me. I, I, I don't get it. People want to say DeAndre Hopkins or, gosh, who are the other people? I don't even know who the other people argue for. Uh, Michael Thomas, because Michael Thomas set some record because the Saints were literally force-feeding him the ball all year. Julio Jones is by far the best receiver. Not, not, it's not by far. That's the wrong way to put it. I don't mean to be so confrontive. But if you ask me, Julio Jones is the best all-around receiver in the entire NFL. And I, I don't know that it's a crazy good competition. I think Michael Thomas is close. I think DeAndre Hopkins is close. Uh, I know there's some receiver I'm forgetting right now. Um, but all around, man, Julio Jones, he's the best in the business and the best in the NFL at the receiver position. All right, guys. Uh, no, that's not true. Wow, I forgot. I have a question from Hillith. Uh, Hillith sent me a message on Patreon. He says, please do a Last of Us 2 review. Would love to hear your opinion on it. Um, now, let me be very clear. There are not going to be any spoilers in what I talk about next. I am not going to spoil The Last of Us 2 for anybody. I hated when I saw that it got leaked on Twitter. I actually avoided it. I didn't want to... I haven't seen... I love The Last of Us, the first game, and I knew that the second game was coming, so I went media blackout, no trailers, no nothing. I've avoided all Last of Us 2 content until now. And I, I played through the entire Last of Us game, Last of Us 2, excuse me. I played The Last of Us 2. Uh, it was way freaking longer than I believed it would be. It just It's like, I thought I came to the end, and it kept going. And then I thought it came to the end again, and it kept going. I was like, wow, this is a long game. And that's not the worst thing ever. I like the gameplay. Um, I know these characters. I care deeply about them in The Last of Us 2. And, you know, going into The Last of Us 2, and even while I'm playing, you know, as the game kept kind of even dragging on, it felt like I felt compelled to not only play but finish. I felt like an obligation and a, you know, these are people I know and care about, and I got to know how this ends. And then I also love Naughty Dog, the developer of The Last of Us. It's the same developer that made Crash Bandicoot, and, you know, my two favorite game series of all time are the Uncharted uh, series, and Jack and Daxter. Jack and Daxter, the Precursor's Legacy, I still play that game. I have it on PlayStation 3. I have it on my PS2. I have it all over my place I live. I have multiple consoles with Jack and Daxter, the Precursor's Legacy, on it because I love playing that game. It's my favorite game of all time. And, I mean, I've played it more times than I would care to tell you, and I'm really good at it, and it's embarrassing. So I love Naughty Dog, and I love their storytelling, and Nathan Drake's a great story, uh, a great character, excuse me, and so I... I, I feel like I, I'm a big fan of Naughty Dog, the people who made The Last of Us 2. And so I'm like, I got to play this game. And I got to get through it, and I got to know the story. And the gameplay, after beating the game, the gameplay of The Last of Us 2, very enjoyable. I mean, I, I love sneaking around. I thought that there are some mechanics they added where you can you go from crouching to crawling and prone on the ground and I, I love using the bow and arrow. I wish I, I hated that I couldn't craft arrows more easily. I always wanted I always wanted more arrows because I love sneaking around the game. That game was really fun to play stealthily. And I, I just I really, really enjoyed the the silent weapons. I like you can craft silencers now. That's a really cool thing. So now, you know, in the first Last of Us, you couldn't go prone. 
and your guns were not there was no way to like silence your gun the only weapon that you could shoot people with and not alert enemies was the bow and arrow and that's not true in the last of us 2 you can craft silencers and that's huge it's so great to be able to like shoot someone stealthily and not have to use just your bow and arrow because I, I ran out of bow, I ran out of bow, like, what am I saying? I ran out of arrows all the time, but I always had ammunition for my guns. And so the gameplay I thought was really fun. The story is not fun. And then I have to ask myself, did I enjoy the overall experience of The Last of Us 2? I did not. And that makes me sad, but it's also true. This game is dark. I mean, this is a dark, bleak kind of miserable game i like the gameplay mechanics a lot and the game's gorgeous to look at it's really pretty it's the most beautiful game i've ever played on on my i just got a 4k tv a little while ago it's it's beautiful but there's nothing magical about the apocalypse in the last of us 2 there's nothing this apocalypse is dark and it really if anyone's ever watched the movie it's also a really good book the road Uh, it's got Viggo mortensen in the movie the apocalypse the idea of an apocalypse is just dark and awful and it's messed up and you know i'm never playing this game again not because i hated it not because i didn't like it um because i saw it once and i'm glad i saw it through and i never want to revisit it because it was not a fun fun enjoyable experience i thought the gameplay was really cool there's other if i want to stealthily kill people i can do that in assassin's creed and in far cry 5 and in so many other video games um and you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider is a game I, I am halfway through and I want to play someday. Uh, I, what, Horizon Zero Dawn's got great stealth gameplay. My point is, like, you can get the gameplay fix you have in The Last of Us 2 in so many other games. And I'm, so I'm, I'm never, I don't want that story ever again. It was dark. It was horrible. I really don't want to revisit it. Uh, Uncharted 3 had so many fun moments I want to revisit. Uh, I think about the plane. I think about the cargo boat. I'm going to play Uncharted 3 again someday. The Last of Us 2 is just devoid of joy. I'm not going to play that again. I don't want to. Um, and I I think it's a game where if you have if you have to know how the story ends, you got to play it. You you I I'm glad I played it. I have no regrets, but I also I'm never going to revisit it. And I I do think that this was a realistic apocalypse. I mean, it's it's still not a good time though. A realistic zombie apocalypse is not actually fun. I mean. I, the more coronavirus has gone on and on, and I'm stuck in my house. I'm like, man, I, I always thought maybe I'd want to deal. Like, what would an apocalypse be like to live through? I don't, I don't want to live through that at all. And uh, you know, there was a big theme in The Last of Us too for me. It was empathy. It's so easy to hate other people simply because they're in a different group from you or on the wrong side of an argument from you. They hate Tom Brady, or their political opinions are different from you, or this or that. And um, there's always two sides to every argument, and. I think the kind of the story for me of this game, the theme of it for me, was that it, it really is so important and it cannot hurt to try and empathize with, you know, or find common ground with another group of people that you have differing beliefs or opinions from. And when you can't find common ground, it's sad. Some people, you, you can't. There are, there are evil people out there that I'm never going to have. I'm never going to have common ground with them or I'm never going to see their side of things because they're just evil and bad. I, I really think there are people like that. Um, but it is still sad when you can't find common ground with people. And that's kind of the message that was really sent and hit home for me with The Last of Us 2. And what I think is really telling about The Last of Us world is that in a zombie-infested world where 
there are all kinds of infected that can kill you in so many ways. The fact that other people that are not infected were the true enemies is a sad reality. And it's probably realistic, but it's it's the darkest part of the Last of Us universe. And The Last of Us 2, I think no game's ever made me feel more guilty killing people or... Um, do like, It's weird how The Last of Us 2 has all... like. I really wanted to sneak through so many events. There are environments where you, you know, the game funnels you through. It's really cool where, you know, you go through an area, you got to go from point A to point B. But the way to get from A to B, there's like 20 different avenues you can go to get there because it opens up and then funnels you back through another space. I mean, it opens, it's like literally like ever seen a, like a, a bottle. It just, it, it opens up and then it goes back into a narrow way. And there's only one way to get through to the next part, but the way to get, to the, net, to the point B, it's just a bunch of different ways. You can sink through buildings or go left or go up or go down or whatever. I hope making sense. And there's a really cool part. You're in Seattle. Uh, places I've been actually. It's kind of cool where it opens up and I have a map and I follow the map to all these different points. I love that part. I love exploring the world. Um, I don't know where I was going. The world's cool to explore. Um, uh, here's what it is. My point is that you can't sneak from point A to point B without killing people. There, there's so many moments where, like, I'm creeping through and I, I can't get to where I want to go without killing people to get to point B. And it's so frustrating. I'm like, can I just – you're, you're forcing me to kill people. And then the story of the game makes me feel guilty for killing people. I've never played a game where it's like, kill people, you have to. But also, you better feel bad. It's like, well, I don't, I don't like that at all. And so um, that's my take on The Last of Us, man. It's just a dark, bleak game. It's kind of like Game of Thrones where I, I love Game of Thrones. I'll probably never watch Game of Thrones again because it's really dark and really hard to watch. Um, but I had to see it through. And I think Last of the Fans will have to see it through as well. I'm ranting now, but it's the only place I have to talk about. I do a podcast with my girlfriend. Her and I are not going to talk about The Last of Us 2. So here's my chance to share my thoughts about Last of Us 2. I had to get it out. I'm glad Himeth asked me to talk about it. Um, and it's a good game. It's a great game. It's a game I, I didn't love. Not because it's not good. It can be good and not be fun. And that's what The Last of Us 2 is for me. It's a not fun game because it's dark and it's bleak and it's real. And I, I'll be honest. Here's why I play video games. It's the same thing with sports. You know why I play video games? You know I watch sports? I watch sports to get away from real life. I love, 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 love escapism. I, I, the, the, the world is dark, man. Anyone, anyone ever look at the news recently or go outside? Can you see everyone wearing masks? It's awful. It's awful. And there's all kinds of horrible stuff happening in the world. And I, 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 it's hard, man. Like four years ago, my brother died. And for me, what helped me get through that was listening to sports podcasts. So we're listening to, uh, not true. I listened to, there's a, there's a podcast now. It's called a guy named Colin Moriarty did a video game podcast. And for me, that podcast got me through the hard time in my life when my brother died. And I, as a kid, loved listening to podcasts. And so um, I love this kind of stuff. It's my favorite thing. And I play games to get away from the real world. And when the, the game, the story the game tells me is 30 hours of misery and dark and beating me over the head with sadness, I don't really want that. I don't want that again. I, I get it. I, I lo- Naughty Dog made a great game, a great game that I don't ever want to touch ever again in my life. I played it. I did it once. Glad I did. I'm glad I know how that ends. Um, but it's, uh, it's not an enjoyable time. That's all I have, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to my rant about The Last of Us 2, if you liked it. Um, I want to end the show this way the same way I always do. Four years ago, my younger brother took his own life. 
Oh, man. And I learned two really painful lessons that happened. It was awful. Um, I just encourage you, man, if you're struggling, go get help. If you're having a hard time, uh, go get a counselor, go get therapy, go talk to somebody. Um, my little brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. When Nate came home, he was dead on the floor. That's awful. Nobody wants that. That's it's just miserable and terrible. And so I just encourage you, talk to your friends or your family, a teacher, a coach, anybody in your life you can. And if you really have nobody, some people feel alone and some people feel like they have nobody they can talk to. And as a last resort, if there's really no one you can turn to, you can call the Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And then I encourage you, man, just make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. I tell my girlfriend I love her all the time. I'm so glad she's in my life. I'm really lucky to have her. Really grateful. Um, I I love my dad. I love my friends. I just the people you care about, you better tell them. I I just encourage you, man. You never know what's gonna happen. You don't know what life what life is like. And then uh, make sure the people in your life know that if they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you. Be the guy who, like my brother and I, played Halo together. We watched sports. We talked about movies and girls and video games and whatever. And we never really talked about real life stuff. We never had deeper conversations. And so um, that's my my regret is I wish I'd made it more clear to Zane, my little brother. If you're having a hard time, Zane, you can come talk to me. I never did that. And I don't, like hindsight 2020, I'm okay. But I do wish I'd done that. And so I encourage you, learn from my mistake. Make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. Make sure they know you can talk to them or they can talk to you. And um, yeah, that's all I have, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, the next episode will be probably Friday. Uh, it's going to be all about Formula One. I, you may not like it. That's okay. I do. I want to talk about Formula One. It'll be fun. We'll dive into it um, to prepare for the race on Sunday. I've just, Formula One has become this thing that I'm just a little bit slightly obsessed with, and I think it's really, really cool. We'll talk about that on Friday. My name is Zach Schaumler. But um, bum, bam, we are.